Hello, Triwizard Champions! Welcome to the Time Turner, Harry Potter In-Depth. Per usual, we are doing an in-depth analysis of what happened in each set of chapters, and looking for ties to the endgame, foreshadowing, anything special we want to talk about, and hot takes or big questions we have. Today, we are going over chapters 16 through 18 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. But first, Alyssa needs to channel her inner Professor Bins and remind herself what happened last episode on Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, chapters 13 through 15. School is ramping up, and so is Hermione on her quest for social justice. Hagrid introduces the students to the blast-ended scroots, and Harry and Ron have fun making up gruesome deaths for divination. After some poorly timed bullying, Mad-Eye Moody turns Draco Malfoy into a ferret. Hogwarts is prepping for the other schools to arrive, and there's massive speculation as to the Hogwarts champion. Bobaton and Durmstrang arrive at Hogwarts, and we meet their headmasters, Madame Maxine and Igor Karkaroff, respectively. Durmstrang comes with a very special student, none other than the world-famous seeker, Victor Crumb. So let's grab our firebolts, dodge our bludgers, as we work through who scored and who fell off their brooms in chapters 16 through 18 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Chapter 16. Ron, along with most of the girls at Hogwarts, are freaking out about Crumb being there. They're all talking about getting his autograph and what they have that he can sign. Sign my boobs! <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Hermione's kind of just like, he's a Quidditch player. Like, whatever, who cares? Yeah, she is way too sophisticated for this, like, celebrity athlete. Well, they're, they're like, not even that smart. <laughs> for now. <laughs> for now. Let's see if that changes, shall we? <laughs> the students from Bobaton seem quite unimpressed with Hogwarts. And maybe I'm completely off on this one, Alyssa, but my first thought when rereading this is that this just seems like J.K. Rowling, you know, stepping into the British stereotypical attacks on the French for being elitist. They're too good for it. It's not fancy enough. It's not pretty enough. It seems very much like what the British would say about the French. But, you know, I guess that's maybe also the point. Yeah, we're going to talk about this later. I have a comment on this. We'll, we'll save it. I'll hold off any more comments about the elitist French until later. Sure. Ron, while being very happy that Crumb is there, also seems to be, you know, focusing on someone else as well. His uh, future sister-in-law? A little weird. Well, she's really pretty. <laughs> sure, but as the comment will be many times in the books from here on out, Ron's obsession, maybe we can call, I don't know if we want to call it that, with Fleur, gets a little weird as the books move on. Oh, it's and super weird. It's super weird. and But it's, to me, less of an obsession and more of this, like, reaction, this, like, out-of-control reaction to this literally unnaturally beautiful woman. But, ugh. Lack of willpower on this guy. You know, Ron has, I guess, the stereotypical 14-year-old boy. You know, oh my God, here's this unbelievably attractive girl near me and I'm going to stare with my jaw on the floor. Maybe she'll think I'm the minister of magic. I mean, <laughs> it's so funny to me, the reaction to the Vilas. And it is, I think we've talked about this before, but it is interesting to me that Ron seems to be affected way more than Harry is. And of course, we're not in the minds of anybody else, but Harry is not... I mean, he's like, she's the most beautiful woman he's ever seen, but he's not like, can't control himself. And I don't even think we were going to mention this later, but I'm thinking of this now. I wonder how much of that is Horcrux. 
That's interesting. I've never thought of that. We know that Voldemort can't really love. We know that it's super dark magic. We know that it's definitely impacting Harry's head and his magic and his soul. We don't know if that's why he has an easier time throwing off the Imperius curse than others. Maybe they're related. Could it be a tie there? I don't think so. Just because we know he can love. He loves his friends. He loves the Weasleys. And he falls in love with Ginny. He, you know, develops a crush on Cho. Like, it's not like he doesn't become attracted to people while he still has this bit of Voldemort inside of him. That's true. But I do wonder, because the it's Vila magic and Imperious magic. And love is the greatest form of magic. Blah, blah, blah. But it is a different type of thing. I mean, this is... Magic messing with your core. Imperious curse telling you to do something. The Vila is very similar. No, it's interesting. I don't know. I'm I'm standing by this (laughs) one. Go for it. I like it. (laughs) Just jumping back to the books away from our theories real quick. But uh, we get a very rude comment by Ron that I'm going to quote here. They don't make them like that at Hogwarts. And Harry responds with a slightly better. They make them okay at Hogwarts, which understandably Hermione doesn't think is much better at all. Like, he's thinking of Cho and he's, you know, downplaying his emotions there, but, you know, to their best friend Hermione, who's standing right next to them, neither one of these comments are particularly flattering or make her feel happy, desired, wanted, or anything else. Right. This is starting off a spiral of jealousy and crushes and love for these teenagers. Yes. We've talked about it before and we'll talk about it again. You know, there's a shift in the series with this book and that's one of them as well. Right. And yeah, right. They're getting older. These are the types of things 14-year-olds think about. Yeah. So Dumbledore gets up and he explains that Crouch and Bagman are going to be judges for the Triwizard Tournament along with the three headmasters and headmistress uh, to Dumbledore, Karkaroff, and Madame Maxine. And he introduces the Goblet of Fire. Fred and George start discussing ways to get around the age line as Dumbledore noted that he's going to be drawing an age line around the goblet to keep any underage people from submitting their name. Harry, interestingly, doesn't answer when asked if he's going to, you know, take a age potion or try some other way to illegally enter the race. As they're leaving the Great Hall, Karkaroff stops everyone in their tracks as he stares at Harry, being fascinated by him. We, of course, know that this is at least primarily due to the fact that Karkaroff was a former Death Eater. So he's, you know, being face to face with Harry is both scary but fascinating for him. And he only stops staring when Mad-Eye Moody gets in the way and kind of jumps him back into reality. We hear that a bunch of people from different houses has entered their names into the Goblet of Fire. We witness Fred and George take a aging potion and try to enter. They get their names into the Goblet but then are thrown backwards and end up emerging with huge beards to everyone's, including Dumbledore's amusement. Harry, Ron, and Hermione go down to Hagrid's hut, and they find Hagrid dressed up and acting a little weird. He gets into a brief argument with Hermione about SPEW before ditching the trio to walk to the castle with Madame Maxine. It's very clear that he is interested in her, and once again, these Ideas of love and romance are propping up more and more in these books. The Goblet of Fire is ready to announce the champions. The first one, no surprise, as Ron says, is Victor Crumb is announced as Dumbstrang's champion. 
Next for Boban is Fleur Delacour, which neither one of these are particularly surprising considering they're two of the three characters at this point we've heard the names of from these houses. So I don't know, you know, what else we expected to happen. And for Hogwarts, where there's a lot of anticipation, the champion is none other than Cedric Diggory. Triwizard Tournament set, everything's ready to go. But then suddenly, another name is brought forth, Harry Potter. Poor Harry has no idea what to do. He's totally shell-shocked. He very quickly tells Ron and Hermione, he didn't do it. He didn't put his name in. You know I didn't do it. But Dumbledore calls Harry up to the front, so Harry doesn't really have a choice, and he's sort of ghost walking up there. He has no idea what's going on, but Dumbledore's saying, go up, and he has to go up, and everybody is staring at him, and he's extremely uncomfortable. He goes through a door pointed out to him by Dumbledore, and even the portraits are all whispering about him. And as he approaches the champions, Floor asks Harry if he's there to deliver a message. Oh, they need us back in there. Which of course, it makes Harry feel like shit, but Harry gets it. Of course he shouldn't be a champion. He knows in that moment, he has no business being there and he has no idea what to make of this. And there's no reason for Fleur to have suspected that Harry was a champion. I used this exact passage before to say that Fleur isn't as nice as other people say because she looks down on Harry the way she talks to him here. I still think that's true, but also like, there's no reason for her to have thought he was anyone but a messenger. I'm actually a Fleur fan, so maybe one day we'll talk about this when Fleur is more of like a central character, maybe like a book six-ish type discussion. Yeah. But I do like Fleur. I'm not mad at her for this. I feel like very typical question. I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Little baby boy needs to leave. See me play. We'll work on our French accents. Yeah, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Ludo Backman, however, is just thrilled about this chain of events. And I'm going to put a little star on this one that we're going to come back to this bit later. So Ludo Backman's happy. The champions are confused, which is probably an understatement, but they're confused, not very happy. And the grown-ups have to discuss what's going on, what, what, what's happening. Of course, the other headmasters are accusing Dumbledore of a conspiracy, of rigging the system. Well, you're going to have two Hogwarts champions. And again, to be fair, looks pretty bad. (laughs) I think it is a very fair assessment to think that perhaps Dumbledore is rigging the system. Not that Dumbledore's ever rigged a system before. Check out our collaborative episode with the Not So Scientific podcast where we talk at length about the point system at Hogwarts. And how very rigged it is. And how very rigged it is by (laughs) yours truly, Dumbledore. (laughs) Anyways, Snape is there and it kind of begs the question, were all of the professors from Hogwarts there or just McGonagall and Snape? And if so, why them? And Moody. And Moody, but no sprout. The head of the house for Cedric Diggory or Flitwick for Ravenclaw. I mean, hmm. It's, it's Dumbledore's inner circle. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Moody. He has, he has his core his core group, his first circle. He's nothing except very, you know, consistent in the fact that he shows favorites. Again. <laughs> <laughs> rigging the system. <laughs> Reference rigging the system. But I'm just pointing out that maybe they're there and we don't hear it, but okay. So Snape, for some reason, is there. And he chimes in, can't resist a moment. He, very funny, is like, it's not Dumbledore's fault. (laughs) It's Harry's fault. He can't resist a good moment. He does support Dumbledore, though. Dumbledore would never do this. And Dumbledore cuts him off. And we have this absolutely, what was not meant to be iconic, 
It was not. It was just a sentence. But it has become a source of memes, tumblers, tweets through the Harry Potter fandom. And I'm going to quote from the book. Very important quote. Did you put your name into the Goblet of Fire, Harry? He asked calmly. What's that last word there? Calmly. Huh. Did you put your name into the Goblet of Fire, Harry? Calmly. Calmly! <laughs> Said very uncommonly. Yeah, of course, we're referring to the movie where Dumbledore said, you put your name into the Goblet of Fire! And of course, everybody, all the book readers looked at that and they're like, what? That did not happen. And look, Ken and I, prior to, to recording this episode, Ken was like, under over five minutes of talking about the calmly quote. And I, I do think under, I think we're going to be under <laughs> because we can't talk about beating a dead horse, right? This one has been really through the ringer. My only real comment I'd like to make is Dumbledore asking this question calmly is paramount to his character that he doesn't freak out and he doesn't yell. And even when he's mad, he's calm. And the actor or the director, whoever made that choice in the movie, I can't think of a reason why that was a good choice. Well, if I recall correctly, the actor said that he never read the books. So he just felt like Dumbledore should be mad there. But how no one ever said, yeah, but no. So you're one person in a room of people who have read the books. The director wasn't like, that was good, that was good. Good job. You have a very great effort, but let's uh, dial it back 12 notches. No one in the entire process of filming that movie, very big budget movie, said, well, let's reshoot that one. You're right. We can't focus on it because it's been done to death and we have a lot of other stuff to talk about. For three chapters, I felt like there's actually a lot going on here. This was a lot of work. We talked about this before in some other chapters. This, <laughs> right. this was a lot. <laughs> but the other thing is that like, by asking it calmly, it also reinforces that Dumbledore doesn't actually think Harry did it. Sirius has already said Dumbledore sees the signs because he brought Moody back. For Dumbledore, this is probably just another sign of what the hell is going on. By freaking out, it's showing Dumbledore looking at this larger world and not believing Harry, which so much of what Dumbledore does in these books is going off the basis of I believe Harry or I believe whoever else. I agree completely. And this is a huge miss. And again, I can't see a reason that no one said, eh, let's let's actually say calmly this time. Maybe it was a choice and we just don't understand that choice. But as Dumbledore says, alas, we will continue on. There are arguments with the grown-ups over whether Dumbledore made a mistake with the age line, which Dumbledore is of course like, well, it's possible that I that I made a mistake. And of course McGonagall's like, no, <laughs> it's not possible that you made a mistake. You know you didn't make a mistake. And I really like her ride or die mentality. I mean, that really never ends through the through the whole book series. And I enjoy that. But it is looking like ultimately the government is going to get to decide what happens here, which is just kind of interesting foreshadowing, I think, for the next book, which is very heavy on government interference and censorship, etc. Moody comes in slinging accusations everywhere, especially at Karkaroff. Very convenient. Essentially, someone's trying to kill Harry, which is, you know, the theme of the whole series. And of course, he is correct. He speculates that someone put an extremely strong confounded charm on the goblet to make the goblet think that there were supposed to be four champions instead of three. And as Harry was the only champion entered into the goblet for that fourth school, he was selected, which 
let's just take a moment and say like, if Harry actually thought that one through, very offensive because he was picked against nobody. I mean, that's that's embarrassing. I mean, that's that's so far down on his list of concerns. I know, like, I, know. I hear <laughs> you, but like, come on. <laughs> right. He was sort of offended at Fleur's saying, oh, are you here to take us back to the hall? So it wouldn't be really out of character for Harry to be like, ugh. I think, I think that's different, though. That's true. That's true. I think it's different being talked down to versus thinking, oh, well, someone submitted my name under a different house because I couldn't even beat anyone in, you know, my own school or whatever. Like, I, I think those are different enough that it can justify a reaction to one and not to the other. Fair enough. I will not argue about that one. Eventually, the headmasters and the government officials... I won't say like they accept that this is happening, but they kind of accept that this is happening. I mean, Dumbledore's like, if you have any other options and there's all this talk about this is a magical contract, you can't get out of it. And I know we're going to talk about that later, so I won't keep talking about that now. But they're all just sort of like, okay, this is how it's going to go. And Barty Crouch gives the four Triwizard Champions the instructions for the first task. We learn that the first task is going to be a surprise. <laughs> meant to test their daring on November 24th, which is mostly irrelevant, but okay. It's around Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving. There will be no exams for the champions, which is a very nice perk. They can accept no help from teachers. And in the first task, they can only have their wand. They all kind of disperse, all the grown-ups and the students. We learn that Barty Crouch isn't staying at Hogwarts because he's, you know, very, very busy. But everyone else is, including Ludo Bagman, because you know, this is where the action is. This is the hot spot to be in. Cedric and Harry chat a little bit after this. And my take on this is that Cedric was pleasant enough. He wasn't outright mean. He never will be. He never is. That's not his character. He's a puff. And he clearly doesn't believe the conspiracy that someone else put Harry's name in. He, he thinks Harry did it, but he's not being like outright rude about it. But I still think it's interesting that he thinks, and maybe it's his Hufflepuff nature, but that he thinks that, like, Harry would admit it to him after just denying it to everyone else. He's like, so, like, tell so me. So tell like, me. Like, <laughs> you did it. And it's like, why would I tell you, dude? You're my competitor. <laughs> like, if he did it, why would he ever tell Cedric? Right. Yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of sport examples we could use. You don't just go to the team you're playing and be like, yeah. I... What's the thing the Astros did with the pitching signs? Stealing signs. Yeah. The Astros don't go over to the Yankees or whoever and says, oh, yeah. I still signs. Really fun. Cool. Don't tell anybody, though. That's not a thing that happens. <laughs> Cedric's very cute, though, for thinking it might. That conversation ends. Harry's kind of walking back from wherever they were to the Gryffindor Tower, and he is internally freaking out. He, he has already come to the conclusion, like Moody said, that someone's trying to kill him. And again, to be very, very fair to Harry, that is pretty much always the case. So um, fair for Harry to think that. Harry arrives back at Gryffindor Tower and he comes into a celebration. Everyone is so thrilled. He's a champion. This is pride for Gryffindor. Everybody except Ron is happy for Harry. Ron is not believing Harry either. And he's not doing it in that nice way Cedric did. Very passive aggressive. And Harry is absolutely devastated by Ron not believing him. That to him is, I'm sure you're going to talk more about that in the next chapter, but this is a major crack in this relationship. Check in, chew up, tune out. 
OK Drugs Peach Eatables are the perfectly calming remedy for those seeking a gentle easing of worry. OK Drugs gummies help to shift perspectives, elevate experiences, and find clarity in crazy. Peach Eatables are vegan, THC-free, made with broad-spectrum CBD to help relax, and L-theanine to help you stay focused. Go to okdrugs.co to order your feel-good fix and use the promo code TIMETURNER to get 10% off today. I love the OK Drugs Peach Eatables. They taste amazing and help keep things cool, calm, and collected. OKDrugs.co. Remember to use the promo code TIMETURNER for 10% off. Chapter 18. So when Harry wakes up the next day, he, you know, has to take a second and be like, all right, what's going on? And he immediately, you know, feels kind of crappy. Even though the rest of the Gryffindors are treating Harry like a hero, he knows the rest of the school is not going to give him such a warm reception. And he remembers his fight with Ron, how Ron is acting weird and doesn't believe him and how something's going on there. Harry uh, runs into Hermione and they go on a walk. And Hermione, of course, believes Harry that he did not put his name into the goblet and takes seriously the conspiracies that Moody brought forward regarding if someone's trying to kill Harry. She explains that Ron is jealous, that Harry's getting all this attention, that once again he's the spotlight. Harry, in a scene that's going to become all too familiar next book, gets angry very quickly, but we'll talk about that much more next book. I guess I get why Ron's jealous. Like, he's the youngest, you know, son of so many boys and... You know, his best friend is Harry, who's world famous, and his other best friend is Hermione, who's the brightest witch of the generation. Like, it's hard to stand out, and I don't want him to talk to me, but for the most part, Ron doesn't stand out. At least not yet. He's ordinary, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with being ordinary, but when the people around you are extraordinary, that's pretty tough. Harry, on the other hand, wants to be ordinary, and the fact that his best friend is jealous because he's getting more attention and because someone might want to kill him, drives Harry up the wall. So like, I get both sides of it. It's one of those things where, you know, you see both sides and as we've already talked about and we'll talk about more, I'm sure some of it also comes to being 14 years old and everything that comes with becoming a teenager. Harry writes a letter to Sirius explaining what's going on, but he can't use Hedwig. So he has to use a school owl and Hedwig is uh, not happy. Alyssa mentioned in the last episode about how, you know, we appreciate it when people take good care of their pets and treat Hedwig's well. Hedwig is not happy here and feels mistreated, whether or not Harry's in the right to not use her. During Care of Magical Creatures, the rest of the class is taking their blast-ended scoots on a walk, which, like, how funny. I mean, I kind of feel like taking my dog on a walk can sometimes be like taking a blast-ended scoot. <laughs> She's... <laughs> She's walking me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you. A little different. A little, but... A little. Just just a little. I'm not saying a lot different. For those of you listening that have big dogs, you feel me? <laughs> <laughs> big dogs with big personalities. While the rest of the class is dealing with their scroots, Harry has an opportunity to talk to Hagrid. And Hagrid tells Harry that, of course, he believes Harry. Dumbledore believes him, so why wouldn't he believe him? We find out that Harry is having trouble in charms class. He's having difficulty with the summoning charm. We'll see if that comes back later. 
Probably not, right? I mean, why would we point out a specific spell that Harry's having trouble with a particular? Why would we Why would he point that out unless it was <laughs> relevant? Why did the author make a point of saying he's having trouble with a spell? I'm sure he has trouble with lots of spells. He's a 14-year-old student. Yeah, good point. Seems a bit obvious in hindsight. It's unfortunate for Harry that he's having trouble with classes such as charms where he's normally successful because now he has to go to potions, which is always a disaster. Not only is he dealing with Snape, but once again, the Gryffindors have potions with the Slytherins and they are ready for Harry. They show up with badges that switch between saying support Cedric Diggory and Potter stinks, which decent magic. Like, good for them. But it's 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 mean. I don't really want to give them too much credit. It's mean and it you know does not help Harry at all. And it helps lead to a mini duel between Harry and Draco. Hermione is hit by a curse. But Snape, instead of being a caring professor, insults her, leading Hermione to run away in tears. And we get what is one of my favorite lines of the book right after this. So I'm just going to quote it. It was lucky, perhaps that both Harry and Ron started shouting at Snape at the same time. Lucky, their voices echoed so much in the strong corridor, for it was impossible for him to hear exactly what they were calling him. He got the gist, however. Snape is not happy that Ron and Harry are screaming and cursing and calling him names, but they got off a little bit easier than maybe they would have because he can't tell exactly what they're saying. But points are taken from them, because as discussed in our collaborative podcast snape does like taking his points away from gryffindors colin creevy arrives in the middle of class and announced that harry has to leave class early for a photo shoot read the room man <laughs> not what harry wanted to hear poor colin yeah oh, oh. like it's not colin's fault but damn yeah. painful oh. you know snape wants to murder colin painful. <laughs> harry goes for the photo shoot where he is interviewed i did that in air quotes for people who cannot see me on a Zoom video right now. Rita interviews Harry, which really is just kind of her opportunity to ask whatever she wants and write down whatever she wants. It doesn't matter what answer Harry gives. Rita's going to tell her version of the story, her uh, fake news story, regardless of Harry's answers. We get to the uh, weighing of the wands. Ollivander is doing this. Harry is nervous that Ollivander's going to tell everyone that his wand shares a connection with Voldemort, but... Thankfully, Ollivander doesn't. Doesn't he know there are privacy laws on this? Lawyer Alyssa, are there privacy laws? <laughs> no. I, if there are any laws on this, we don't know about them. Wand maker confidentiality? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Harry you know, has this nice moment where he's like freaking out because his wand's all dirty and has fingerprints on it. And Cedric's like, I cleaned it last night. It's all pristine. I polished it. And Harry's like, you can polish a wand? <laughs> First and only we mentioned we could have anything being cleaned at Hogwarts. We find, we got confirmation that Fleur is indeed part Vila. Harry's like, ooh, I should tell Ron. Oh, wait, Ron's not talking to me. And we hear that Crumb's wand is a Grigorovich creation. Let's see if anyone remembered this seemingly insignificant line when it comes back to be important in Deathly Hollows. Sirius writes to Harry saying that they need to talk, but they shouldn't do it through owls, and that Harry should clear out the Gryffindor common room at the time and date that Sirius selected, so that they can talk in person. So now, let's stir the cauldron and sip on some tea. What are our big questions or hot takes for chapters 16 through 18 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire? So a little one, quickly, you brought it up in your the summary. Why 
are the Bobaton kids such dicks? <laughs> I mean, to me, this is the author shitting on French people. Yeah, I think it's that as well. I think this is... Well, but not, not much to talk about. <laughs> no, I, I, th- I think this is, you know, just the British taking a shot at the French. Okay. Unless you want to make some connection to attractive people having big egos and looking down on other people. But eh. to, to me, that seems just going too far. Yeah, I don't think so. So historian, I'll put you on the spot because I did not ask you this in advance. What is a war that England slash Great Britain slash whatever it's called had with France? We have the Hundred Years War, which really took place over, I think, 118 years. You also have the Napoleonic Wars which were much more recent than the Hundred Years' War, so. So one of those wars. Those are the two big ones that come to my mind. Oh, okay, excellent. Good job. So so you did earn your keep today. Thank you. So this is just a anti-French sentiment. Yeah, we're not going to go down this road, but before the 20th century, France and Britain were constant enemies, uh, consistently fighting against each other. Like I said, the Hundred Years' War was... Literally over 100 years of essentially consistent fighting between the two countries until the 20th century, the two of them being allies in massive wars would not have seemed realistic. But that's going to be the end of that history lesson. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I don't want to bore everyone too much. Yeah, my eyes glazed over. For more on that, listen to our outtakes. (laughs) So back to what we're actually here to talk about. So here's a question that might be a very simple answer. I don't know because I didn't actually get an answer from you on this beforehand. I don't know what you're going to say, but in the moment when Harry's name is called, the first time you read this, do you think like in the back of the reader's mind or in the back of your mind, like, is there any chance that Harry like actually found a way to do it? He dreamed up being a champion. He didn't answer when asked if he would enter. He said that if he was to do it, he would do it in the middle of the night when no one would know. We're kind of set up to think, could he have done this? And like, are we being tricked? What do you think? Simple answer for this one for me. Absolutely not. Okay. The first time I read this, I am, again, don't really remember that much because I was young, but I'm pretty confident that I just immediately felt awful for Harry. Like just a punch to the gut. Like, you know, he didn't want this. Harry doesn't need the Triwizard Tournament to be famous. He has no interest in fame. I think I immediately felt bad for him. You asked that, and I'm very quickly thinking it through the words that were used. I don't think there's really ever a thought that's crossed my mind that he could have been complicit. I 100% agree with you, but I thought, you know, there's a chance that you we would disagree on this one. It could make for an interesting discussion, but I'm with you. Nope. Okay. We'll find something else. So moving on to something else that may, we might, I think we might disagree on this one. The way Bagman handles telling the champions that Harry is a fourth champion the man has to learn how to read a room, right? Like these people have been told there are three champions or three there. He's like, oh, guys, look, fourth champion. Fleur's like, what are you talking about? He's like, what do you mean? What am I talking about? Harry's a champion. Like, of course he is. Like, come on, dude. I actually have another thought about Bagman here, but I will answer your question and say I actually disagree. It to me reminds me a lot of like you see this with parents and again, don't have kids. So I don't know if this works or not, but sometimes you see a kid falls down like on the sidewalk and the kid starts crying and the parent doesn't go, oh, are you okay? I'm going to pick you up. Oh, I'm going to get you some ice cream. A lot of times the parents are like, ah, ha, 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 silly baby, you fell. And it serves to calm the kid. So they don't think it's the end of the world. They don't think they're dying. They don't think they get injured. 
I'm not saying that works. And here, I don't think it worked at all. And I don't even think that was his intention. Okay, good. Because if, if you did think that was his intention, I was going to have a big disagreement with you. No, 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 no. No, I think it's like alarming that he's so delighted by this. But I also don't really view it as him not reacting appropriately. I kind of like the idea of this like concerningly, it's not play straight, but this positivity about it. I mean, he's way too fast to agree. He's way too fast to say it's okay. And I'm going to, in like 15 seconds, I'm going <laughs> to explain why. But I actually don't hate his initial response. I think it's okay. But if my 15 seconds are up, I'm going to go into my other comment about this, which is I know a lot of people that have read this book think Ludo Bagman is involved in the plot until, of course, we realize he's not. And There's a lot of bits and facts and pieces that people put together to say he's the perfect villain here. And this particular line, this his, you know, coming in really hot on this one is not one that's commonly quoted for the reasons why people suspect Ludo Bagman. I, however, think if you're trying to read it, like, why would people think it's Ludo Bagman? Him just going into it like, yeah, Harris, this is crazy. Like, he just accepts it immediately without thinking twice about it. And that's a little crazy. And so I think this would be an indication that he was complicit in the plot. Of course, we know it's a whole red herring and he's not involved at all, but it doesn't look good. Yeah. I mean, to me, I just always stuck on. I feel like this was just awful way to read the room. Yeah. Okay. We'll continue on. So, Alyssa, I want your opinion as the resident lawyer on some of the the legal issues at play here. Crouch says that they must follow the rules and that Harry is bound to compete. And Moody, when Karkaroff threatens to take Crumb out of the competition, says that he signed a magical contract and cannot be removed. So I guess my question for you, the lawyer, is Harry's underage and is saying he didn't put his name in. Contracts shouldn't matter, right? Like, he didn't do jack shit. So, obviously, I don't understand wizarding law. He didn't take that elective? No. No, I wish they had that. That would have been cool. I would have taken that. That would have been cool. In traditional kind of what we would call, like, black letter contract law in the U.S., you can't sign a contract when you're underage. And even if this was a quote-unquote contract, it's forged. It wasn't him. So... I don't think it'd be enforceable contract. However, there's like no rules here. So (laughs) I guess it's sort of like the magic of it is just too tight. And again, we don't know what would happen because no one withdrew. So whether the magic prevents someone from withdrawing in the first place, or it punishes them quite like the unbreakable vow where You could leave, but then you get struck by lightning. One or the other, we don't know because no one tried. So I would say in a traditional contract situation, I would not consider this to be an enforceable contract. But uh, this is not a normal situation. And we're not even in the U.S. Fair enough. So I think my last comment regarding the meeting in this side room, at least, is that Karkaroff complains about how he would have brought more students if he'd known that, you know, they could get two champions, which like, sure, I get what he's saying. He's mad, whatever. But also like, shut up, dude. You treat all your students like crap. 
You treat crumb like royalty and yell at everyone else for being pigs and having food on their shirts and whatever. Like, you would not have brought more students. You don't like your students. So spare me this, you know, fake outrage about how you would have brought more students. No, you wouldn't have because Crumb's the only one you wanted to compete anyways. Wow. This is the most turned up I've seen you about like anything in a while. (laughs) I'm surprised it says, actually, I'm going to disagree. I love it. I mean, I don't like Karkaroff, (laughs) don't get me wrong, but there are questions as to how the students were selected to come to Hogwarts. And so let's say you really wanted this one to be selected. So you bring a bunch of shitty students because you're like, I need this big fish in small pond situation. I could see him being like, well, I got two. I would have brought my two best people, not my one best person. So perhaps there is actually a practical argument there that I selected who made this journey based on having one champion. Sure. And you admitted this as an assumption, but you're going all off the assumption that these students were picked for the purpose of ensuring Crumb got selected. Oh, I know. But we know it's not the whole school, both schools. We know it's a small subsection. So the obvious breakdown would just be age. They said, okay, everyone over 17 can come. How would we know? They keep their location secret. They keep their castle secret. I'm sure they keep their student list secret. They could pick whoever the hell they wanted. So logic would stand that it's very possible that they were both, both Madame Maxine and Igor Kokorov could have influenced the goblet by selecting certain students. All right. That's fair. I hear you. You might be right. But for me, I'm just like, all right, man, shut up. Like, I don't want to hear this. I love a good disagreement. (laughs) Yeah. So I only have one more question, comment. Guess it's a big question. After Hermione, she gets jinxed and the, the curse that hits her makes her teeth grow enormous teeth. Like we're not talking a little bit. We're talking about like, I'm picturing like walrus sized teeth here. And Snape sees it and sees what's happening and says, I don't see a difference. And I think that is just so cruel. Like, it's so mean. And I don't know if it's, you know, when I read this as a woman or as a teenage girl, like I actually didn't have, I had like a gap tooth with some big front teeth. So maybe I took this as a little sensitive when I read this, but I found this to be abhorrent that Snape did this to a young woman. I mean, that's awful. And I will pose the question to you, Ken. He's pretty consistently always mean to Hermione since the beginning of the book series. He never really stops being mean to her. Is this because she reminds him of Lily or is it because of her friendship with Harry or something else that I haven't thought of? I think that's a really good question. I'm going to say it's both because so she's muggle-born like Lily. She is an incredibly smart, talented witch like Lily. We don't know if Lily was, you know, the quote-unquote brightest witch of her generation, but We have numerous points of evidence to say that she was a talented, smart, successful witch in her own right. So you have that connection there. But then you also have the James-Harry connection. It's not just that she's friends with Harry. It's she's friends with Harry, who is exactly like James, who Lily, who has a lot of similarities to Hermione, chose over him. Yes, I agree. You had to jump through a couple of hoops to follow my logic there, but... Yeah, no, I no, I get what you're saying. He sees Lily and Hermione, and because he sees James and Harry, it brings up all of these, you know, feelings of resentment and anger and whatever that he's still harboring. And the more I talk about this, the more I'm like, oh, 
What a baby. Like, this is a grown man. You can separate this in your head. This is garbage individual that treats Hermione like this, treats Harry the way he treats it. I mean, he is awful because of something that happened how long ago? 20 years ago? Yeah, 20 years. I mean, come on. I don't even remember the names of people who were not nice to me in middle school and high school. Like, I don't care. They're nothing to me. Grow up. Yeah, and, and it doesn't get any better. You know, we have numerous instances of him calling her out or for, you know, raising her hand or continuously talking or being obnoxious, know-it-all, and whatever else he says. I was going to try to be funny and bring in some fake conspiracy about how he thought that she was the only person smart enough to find out, you know, that he was the half-blood prince and, you know, whatever. But I, I can't even justify that conspiracy. So I'm just going to say I tried to come up with it and I couldn't do it. Okay, well, that concludes today's episode um, where we're diving through chapter 16 through 18 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. You'll hear it every week. You'll hear it again. Please download, subscribe, give us feedback, follow us on the Instagram, on Twitter. You can email us. There's a billion ways to reach out to us, review all the things. We really love hearing from you. And of course, thank you to our rock star editor, Julia, for editing this to make us sound good. Because if you heard the raw footage, there's some issues. Well, you wouldn't be as good as that. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't be as good. <laughs> thank you, Julia. And thank you to everyone listening. We, as always, really appreciate the support. And I hope everyone has a nice dinner tonight on Bouillet Bay and Blanc Manger. Is that how it's pronounced? That's probably not how it's pronounced. I butchered that. Sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs>